My staff has been working incredibly hard at adjusting to this new normal. I'd like to do something unique to show my appreciation. Do you have any ideas? Oh, Andy, you know I love these questions because I love, I love, I'm just going to share some love right now, right? I love it when you have executive directors or, or supervisors that really are recognizing, appreciating, or grateful for what their team is doing and trying to figure out ways to let them know that because so many of us get so busy that we don't ever take the time to do that. So I'm a huge believer in, in showing that appreciation, especially because it shows, you know, historically every report that's ever been done on this kind of thing shows that lack of appreciation is a huge reason people leave a job. Now, I don't think people in general are going to be leaving jobs now voluntarily, but um, right. right. But, but anyways, um, so a few things I just want to share from other others that I've worked with, other nonprofits that I think are kind of cool. Um, there are some, there's one, one thing you could do is sort of just highlight your staff on social media. I don't know how big your social media presence is, but you could do every week a highlight of like, here's a staff member, here's the magic that happens behind the scenes that none of you know. And you could send it depending on your messaging for your organization. It could be something like, you know, while other people are laying off, we're, sti we're sticking with our employees, or we want to share showcase with you the amazing like people behind the scenes that you never get to see Meet, you know, Sally, Joe, whatever. And here's the picture or here's a little profile on Sally's and give her some love. So like, I think you could do something like that if you wanted. And that, that really just takes a few minutes and it's, it's, it can make someone feel incredibly, um, valuable. Um, then, you know, if you have people like, I think everyone's different, right? So the hard part about this kind of stuff is you hear people who buy gifts. Like I heard someone who said, Oh, I got a, a dozen of those little buntinis and sent like a thank you card, personalized thank you card to all my staff with a little, uh, you know, a dozen buntinis, which who's going to turn down? Do you know what I mean? Buntinis, Andy, those the, like a tiny bunt. Yes. Oh my gosh. The, I'm, I'm all over that. Those are like, I'm like, <laughs> my hand is raised. I'll be your employee, yeah. right? I'll be your employee. But anyways, like, I think everyone's a little different. Some people like the gifts, some people like the like public recognition. So I think you need to kind of, depending on how large a pool of people we're talking, if it's just a handful, maybe each of them you do something different for. Like I actually have um, one colleague and friend who leads a small organization. And she said, you know what? I have each of my staff have like different passions and interests, but I'm not sure they're so busy working and working hard and taking care of like kids at the house and doing work from home that I don't think they're getting any time away. So I'm going to send them like a, um, uh, a little like news clip or link to a live streaming musical concert for some music I know they love or um, you know, like there's the Cincinnati Zoo has their cool daily safaris and this person's an animal lover. I'm just going to make them aware of it. So like sort of just like those little moments of saying, hey, I care about you. I want to let you know I appreciate you. And I just want to share this resource or I wanted to just thank you. So I, I think, you know, you can make it really small and inexpensive or you can you can do a little more than that, depending on, on what you want to do. But um, people, just the, the fact that you're appreciating people and acknowledging how much they're doing right now, I think means the world. So that's my take. Now, Andy, you're a little jaded about these things. So so what do you what would you say? <laughs> I, th I think we should just listen to Stacy on this one. I think that's <laughs> that's great. I mean, absolutely. You know, showing showing your appreciation for your staff is fantastic. And this is a really good time to do it. Mm -hmm. 
The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm here with my co-host, uh, fabulous co-host, Stacy Wedding. Um, we are here, uh, hopefully, to bring just a hint of normalcy to you. We're trying to make the podcast sound exactly like it did before we were both holed up in our separate blanket forts in our own houses <laughs> recording the podcast. Yeah, you should see us. It's great, you guys. We literally have bit blankets all around us and pillows all around us. <laughs> trying to try to make these these ridiculous houses um, dead enough to make it sound like we're actually doing a professional podcast. Um, but, you know, there are there are a few questions that have come in that sort of relate to kind of what everybody's going through right now. Um, I know there's a lot of conversation out there. There's, you know, Zoom call after Zoom call of people being frustrated of trying to figure out what's next. Um, and, and we recognize that. But please, if you have questions about anything related to nonprofits, just go ahead and send them to us. If they're pandemic related, awesome. We'll tackle those. If it's just random stuff that you want us to talk about, we would love to talk about that too, um, so that you don't have to be sort of stewing in the juice of like what is happening in the world right now. Like maybe this can be some time that you just want to geek out about nonprofit stuff. Exactly. Just a reprieve, right? A reprieve from all of that. I don't know about you, Andy, but some days it's like, if I hear the word pandemic once more or COVID-19, I'm going to lose my mind. And I'm sure our listeners feel that way too. And I was so happy to get to do this tonight. I'm like, oh, finally, we get to actually tape some podcasts. So it's so (laughs) great to do. Um, But again, thank you to the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits for making this possible. And we hope you enjoy the episode. This episode of Nonprofit Everything is sponsored by the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits Job Board, your one-stop shop for the next step in your career. Searching job listings is totally free, and AN members receive a big discount when posting new jobs. There are dozens of nonprofit jobs available right here in Nevada, and there are out-of-state jobs too. Find it by going to the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits webpage and clicking the Job Board button, or access it directly at jobs.alliancefornevadanonprofits.com, or find the link in the Nonprofit Everything show notes. Okay, Stacy. I am submitting my resume to nonprofits looking to hire executive directors, and I have two questions as it relates to this. First, what do you think are the best questions to ask to get a real look at what's going on in the organization? And are there any questions or comments the board might ask that I should consider to be a red flag? Oh, yeah. This is another, that's another, this is another juicy one. We've got some juicy ones, Andy, because there's, yeah, I would love to, I can't wait to hear what you say about the red flag questions. (laughs) But I think just to get started, um, I, I mean, I think one of the first questions, which is a fair question is sort of, tell me about why you're hiring an executive director right now. Like, I, I, right, like that feels like. Um, yeah, is this the first time that they're hiring one? Is it a grant funded position that you have to raise your own salary and figure it out within three months? We've all heard those (laughs) scenarios. Um, Surprise. Yeah, you don't get in and you get in and then you find that that out. But but anyways, I think just kind of getting a sense of how many executive directors have have they had over the last few years? Like, I mean, if you hear like constant turnover, then I think the answers to some of your questions are going to be the red flags that you're going to know, okay, this organization can't keep an ED. There's probably an issue here. Yep. I think also I would ask, 
what is sort of your strategic direction? Like, is there a strategic plan in place? Um, what what is it? I'm always fascinated. I actually served on a search committee, Andy, um, I don't know, a few years ago, and I was fascinated because the organization, not surprisingly, I mean, they had a strategic plan, but when they went through this process to hire, almost every candidate asked that question and none of the board members could answer it. They were like, well, kind of, and they talked <laughs> around it. And I thought that just doesn't bode well. That really tells you a really disconnected board that um, doesn't have a clue and didn't even do their homework. So to me, I mean, I guess I could give a little leeway to that, but I don't think that's a great sign either. Uh, yeah, you kind of want, hopefully they know where you're going because if you're, if they're going down path A and you're not at all, that's not your skill set or your passion, it'd be better to know that during the interview process than get in there and figure out, oh, crap, they're going in a direction I don't even agree with. Right. And if the, you know, and that tells you, gives you information about how connected or disconnected the board is from the organization as a whole. Yeah. So if the, if the board doesn't know what's going on, um, if they can't answer basic questions about the organization, it tells you that they don't pay attention in board meetings or don't show up or aren't that interested in the board. And that's that could be a red flag unless, you know, unless that's what unless, you want. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're what one of the things that you're really good at is is building boards and you're like, yeah, I want to get rid of this dead weight anyway. I think it would be interesting. So those are sort of typical ones. I think it'd be interesting to ask from your vantage point as a board and sort of what you know you know, about the organization and maybe the prior executive director, if there was one, like, what do you think is the biggest or most pressing challenge I would face if I got hired? Like, I think it would be fascinating because you're sort of trying to, you're asking them to open up a bit and it would be fascinating to see what you'd hear. And if they tell you everything is peaches and roses, eh, okay, but I don't think anybody should answer that without saying, without giving it some thought and saying, you know, I actually think our challenge is we really need to diversify our funding or whatever it is. I, like there's gotta be something, right? Or am I being too hard? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, th this question stumps me in, in a big way because I've, I've never really thought about it that way only because if, like if the organization is broken, like as an executive director, it's, it's almost like, are you, are you equipped to fix what is broken? And, and if the mission is a good one and the organization, if there's, you know, if there's stuff that can be salvaged, you know, it's like you, you're looking at a broken piece of equipment and you're like, I could fix that. Right. Or you're looking at something you're like, ah, it looks like I don't, I don't think I'm capable of doing what needs to be done to get this fixed. Yeah. Um, so, so it kind of depends. I mean, it's so situational based on what your strengths are and then what, what the organization really needs going forward. I mean, honestly, are there organizations that I think are irredeemable? Like, yes, but that's because, you know, the internet left their, their business model behind 25 years ago, 30 years ago, and no one's noticed yet. Or, or they're a brand name with no mission or, you know, whatever, you know, reason five, five through 20 is that there's something fundamentally wrong with the mission. Like, like maybe it's a problem that doesn't need to be solved, but if that's the case, then, then why are you even, why are you even interested in, in going after that executive position in the first place? So I think, I mean, it's so situational and I can't think of any, I mean, 
if the board members are all horrible people and tend to throw the executive director under the bus at a moment's notice, um, yeah, that's probably a situation you don't want to get in. How would you find that out? Eh, maybe you talk to the remaining staff, like see who's still there and say, hey, you mind if I just you know talk to you? I'm interested in this position. Like, you mind if we have just an informal conversation about the organization? And I think, you know, staff members, for the most part, I don't know. Do you think staff members would respond well to that? I, I'm trying to I, think if somebody asked me that when I was when I was an executive, if somebody had asked me to go to lunch because they want to hear about the position, I think all my red flags would have immediately gone up. Like, why are you trying to do an end run around our process? Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, that's kind of where my gut is. I think I'd unless be uncomfortable with it. Well, because, yeah, unless it's a friend, because otherwise I'm uncomfortable going, okay, anything I tell you, how can I trust you're not going to go back? Or if you get hired, use it against me like that you can't trust me because yeah. I'll just say, right? I don't know. Like, right. that would be Okay, yucky. pretend I didn't say that. That was a suggestion. <laughs> but, but I guess I'm thinking, like, to your point, though, like, so, Andy, you and I, you and I have both probably known those people that had an awful experience with a nonprofit and they were an executive director or something and they left on bad terms or whatever the situation was. And that may be just such a pain point that they're gun shy. Like, okay, I, I, you know, I can't deal with another board that is like this or like yep. this. I feel like this is a great opportunity with these kinds of questions because I do think even though everyone's going to put on their best face, right? It's like your first date. No one really gets to see your true colors yet. But I still think if you ask the right questions, you can start to determine a lot. Like the strategic plan question, if they can't answer it, then whether it's a deal breaker for you or not is up to you. But like if they can't answer it or they don't really know what their strategic direction is or if they have a plan, then that tells you a lot about how much they've been engaged in the past, like how much work you're going to have to do if you actually want an engaged board. So so I feel like there's the like, if you can ask those right like lever questions, it can really open it up. And it, yeah, I don't know. That's my opinion. And and yet I also think you sometimes you get people who give you right who are great salespeople in the interview and tell you all the stuff. And then you how many times have have you talked to somebody who just got hired as an ED and says, wow, the stuff, the skeletons that I'm uncovering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's all the basic stuff that you probably already know, you know, ask for ask for an audit. Um, and, and make sure you get the management letter that comes with the audit so that you can see all the stuff that they didn't publish. Um, ask for a current copy of the strategic plan, ask for all the dashboards, ask for financial statements, ask for just like minutes of the last handful of board meetings. Like if an organization doesn't want to give that to you, that's a huge red flag. And then you're going to get tons of information. If the, if the minutes are sloppy and you know, like the last three have been canceled because people aren't showing up. I mean, just, I mean, ask if, I think the more information you get of stuff that they should be hanging on to, and if it's there, if it's not there, that gives you a good idea of how the organization's run. But again, it's so situational. Maybe the last executive director was just a sloppy mess, right? Who couldn't, like, the strategic plan is such a, <laughs> such a, a terrible beast. thing that they yes. just like, yeah, we have one, but... You know, it's all in comic sans and I don't think it makes any sense. And, you know, it could, it, it totally could be. And you're right. It is situational. So it's so tough to tell. I think you can also ask, like, what does the board see as their role and what do they see as their role compared to your role as the executive director? Because I think the one thing that would scare a lot is if they hear a board that is way too controlling, micromanaging most people, that's probably more a turnoff to most 
incoming EDs and I think the opposite like people can figure out what to do about engagement but a board that is like in your business every day how do you get anything done and that may be a pain point right so and then what do they see as the role I would love to know like I would ask what does the board see as a role in fundraising it would be fascinating to hear it because I'd love to see if some boards would say what do you mean like that's not you know we don't need to do that that's your role (laughs) ED yeah right yeah so yeah, that, that would that would be a good probing question to find out those kinds of things that things that need you think probably need to change and just see where they're at on them. Yeah. Anyway, best of luck to you. Yeah, good luck. Our organization had a coat drive during the winter season in an effort to distribute jackets and coats to the low income and homeless seniors we serve. Most people just gave us money to buy the coats. Soon after, we received a massive in-kind donation of coats from a retailer who heard about our coat drive on the news. We received enough coats to meet all of our needs and then some. Now that we've received the coats we need, can we redirect the money we received during the drive to a different purpose our organization has? Are there any rules around this that we need to be aware of? Absolutely. Uh, This is a great question and a great problem to have when you have too much of something, right? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, kudos to you and the coats, right? But um, I guess my first, I'm going to ask a question back and you'll probably roll your eyes at this because you want an answer, but we'll get to the answer. But, But my question back is when you had the coat drive originally, what did you communicate to your donors, right? What was it communicated clearly? I'm assuming it's a coat drive or if it was a letter campaign or whatever, a flyer, whatever that said, whatever language language was in that is really important right now. Because if you said any donations we receive monetary or, you know, in-kind donations of coats are going to go to help those we serve, then you need to, you're restricted to that purpose that you stated publicly uh, and then, you know, if 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 you have the caveat like, oh, if we get too many coats or too much money, we're going to redirect it for another purpose, then you're covered. But I'm guessing that's probably not the case here. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I mean, the I think the the buzzword we always hear is is donor intent, right? It's what the donor intends to give you the money for is what you're supposed to use the money for. But you're exactly right about what did it say in the appeal that you sent them? Because that's the, if, if somebody's going to try to get you for it, if somebody's going to try to catch you and you're going to get in trouble, that's the documentation that they're going to go back to, which is like, what did the appeal say? Because if it says, if you give us money and we will buy coats, you are going to buy coats. Right. <laughs> Whether you <laughs> need it says, them or not. Yeah. Exactly. But if it says, you know, if you give us money, you know, we, we buy coats. And if you give us money so that we can help seniors stay warm or that we can help seniors who may be struggling this winter, I mean, then then you have sort of a plausible, a plausible way to redirect some of that funding to something else that has to do with seniors. Right. Not you can't divert it to kids then. You know, it's really about the specific language that you used when you put it together. It is. And and I've seen some organizations when they've run into this problem where they've actually tried to um, c- contact the original donors. Now, I'm going to assume because it was a coat drive, we're probably talking lots of smaller donations because that's generally what these things entail is people give you 10 or 20 bucks or whatever or the coat. Right. right? And that would probably be a huge pain. I mean, I guess your other option here 
is if you wanted to unrestrict the, the purpose by contacting the donor and getting their approval, you could theoretically have a letter that says, wow, we were so, you know, we got so lucky. We had this really generous donor, retailer, or whomever who gave us a large donation. So we're now able to use the funds we originally thought we had to put for our coat drive and put it toward this need instead. Do we have your you know, permission sign here or something if you'll allow us to use your donation another way? I mean, but that gets complicated and that's, that's sort of a bookkeeping tracking nightmare, but, but I think that might be another solution to this. Yeah, that's a, it's a great idea, but it, it does seem like if, if it's like one or two big donors that gave you then a great. bunch of money, then yeah, it's, yeah, totally. It's really easy to just go ask. And, and you think, I mean, think about the people that are giving to your organization. They're not super passionate about jackets, right? right? right. They're not like, <laughs> this is like the whole purpose. It's not like, you, you know, you were, it was a donation for kids and now you want it to be for something different. Yeah, that's a different conversation, but nobody's super connected to coats. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. If it is like a whole bunch of, donations, it it may not be worth your time to try to get some sort of affirmative response from each one of those people that says, Hey, I'd like to, I'd like to redirect this donation, but it's, I mean, absolutely should be a learning experience for you next time to be able to say in a really positive way, what your mission is and what you want to raise money for and not make it super specific. Help us buy a copier, help us buy jackets, help us buy this one specific item. Exactly. I think it's a huge, yeah, it's a huge learning opportunity. And you could also include if you did want to do a specific drive or something for a specific item, all I would caution you is perhaps to have that caveat in your written materials that if once we've met our goal, all other funds will be redirected toward, uh, you know, another part of our mission or whatever, however you want to phrase it. But something that, again, you're covering yourself in writing because that's yeah. the key here. And, you know, I can imagine, Andy, and I'm sure you can think of this too, nonprofits that you and I both have probably worked with at some point, not necessarily employed at, but that we've worked at in worked with in a consulting capacity that I can hear I can hear the pushback on this saying, well, who's really going to know, Stacy? Come on. Like, I could hear like a board member or somebody saying, come on. Like, aren't you really, isn't this being a little too extreme? Like, who's really going to know whether we use their money for a code or not? But I think it comes down to, you know, operating ethically and operating within, you know, the standards that we all are upheld to do as as a yeah. public charity, right? Yeah feels like a really slippery ethical yes. slope. Like if that's okay, like then, then why do we even have to do yeah. anything related to our mission? You know, we're still nice people. <laughs> Yikes. I've been on a nonprofit board for the last five years and it's going great but I want to open my own nonprofit who, as far as relatives, can we be related to each other on the board? What board positions do I have to have? Can I be an executive director and pay myself and have a position on the board? What is required under Nevada nonprofit law? The reason I'm asking is that I've been doing what I want to be doing for the last 20 years privately, but with everything going on, I need financial donations and I want to do a great job. I want to get paid, but I don't want to lose control. Oh boy, that's about like five questions in one. So I, I, I read it like it was five questions at once. My my <laughs> head is spinning a bit here. Uh, well, so 
we can certainly, I'm going to just say this so we don't get into all the, the legalese, but certainly we can uh, footnote and, you know, bookmark the kind of the page on the state website that will give you a lot of answers. It's very, so from like a Nevada nonprofit law standpoint, it's super, it's super basic and easy in our state. Have you ever looked yeah. at it, Andy, compared, like, you only have to have one board member. And yet then it says, oh, but you need to have like a president, treasurer and secretary, although they can, someone can wear one more than one or play, you know, have more than one role. So right. I'm like, I guess theoretically you could have that one board member that is required by state law also be your board chair, secretary and treasurer the way it's written, right? Um, which is just a little befuddling. So I guess my first caution to the person who asked this question is, please, just because state law may give you the bare minimum does not mean the IRS, when you go to fill out your actual, you know, form 1023 to become an official, you know, get federal tax exemption does not mean they're good. It's this is going to be kosher with them. So so just realize, yeah, that you've got to kind of be able to meet both categories like what. Andy, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. So the the Nevada law is less stringent than the the IRS's rule. So so if you want to be, I mean, you can anybody can register as a nonprofit in Nevada, but that doesn't mean that you're able to take tax deductible donations. So you won't be tax exempt either. So you can be a nonprofit but not be tax exempt, and that would be the case, the one case that you could have one board member. But you're not going to nobody's going to give you any money because it's not tax deductible and you're going to have to pay tax on any um, excess profits over uh, your expenses. So if you want to be a real nonprofit and you want to go get your 501c3, you're going to need a minimum of three board members. Yeah. And so as far as family members, the other thing to keep in mind, right, is that um, IRS requires that no more than like 49% of your members are related by blood, marriage, you know, they, they, they want to guard against transactions that, you know, that are sort of just can be kind of insider ish or misuse of assets or just things that can happen when you have too many people that are connected through business, through family, right. That kind of stuff. So you really, you really, if you're going for this, the, the full fledged way that Andy just talked about, you're going to want to be careful with it. Um, you know, a lot of nonprofits start out and they have family on it, but they then need a large enough board that it's not all family, right? They meet that 49% test. You, you know, family shouldn't be making up a majority of your board. Um, I mean, I can tell you all the reasons I don't think it's a good idea to have a whole family on your board, but whatever. I, it, I'm not sure you, I'm not sure you actually want to hear that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, it, what happens on the federal level is that, that that will actually, you're, your nonprofit will actually convert to a private foundation. So if you can't continue to pass all the tests of being a publicly supported charity, you end up being a private foundation, which is, is different and the rules are a lot harder and it costs a lot more money. And it's, it's just probably not what you intend when you say nonprofit. So you can do it, but that's not, that's not what the, that's not the best practice. And it certainly isn't what the IRS is going to allow for a regular for-profit public charity. And, and then, you know, can you get paid? Because that was another question, right? Can you pay yourself and can you serve on the board? I mean, uh, yes, uh, there, there's so many caveats with this though, right? Because 
for, for whatever you do, you shouldn't be the board president or board chair of this because it's a total conflict of interest. I mean, one of the board's primary roles is right hiring and firing and super and evaluating the executive director. So anyways, that's just one example of where it gets really messy. And if you were like, you know, the on the board or even the board, you said, oh, I want to be the board chair. I'm the founder. I'm the executive director. I'm the board. I'm the everything because I want to keep that control that you mentioned. Like, that's just it's not going to fly. It's not going to fly with funders or donors, anyone who's sophisticated, at least. It's not going to fly with the IRS, like when you go and file for ten your 1023 status. So, like, it's just that's not otherwise, you know, then set up your own company. I mean, that, I hate to be crass about it, but like one of the things when I hear people say, I want control, like I want money, right? I want to get donations and get paid for what I do, but I also want control. Like my caution is that it's not, first of all, donations are much harder to get than anybody thinks. And, and then secondly, if you really want control, you're not going to have control, like set up your own business, set up your own company, because you're not going to have it. If you truly design this the way it should be designed, and it's a public charity serving the public good, governed by the public, meaning a representative, diverse body of people on your board that aren't family, you you don't have control. And it's desi- it's by design. Yeah. And I mean, even if you can get by with the absolute minimum standard, um, you want to maintain control. It's It's absolutely self-limiting. You're never going to you're, you're never going to grow to be big enough to pay yourself any amount of money. Um, donors are going to run from you screaming. Um, the, the board is going to collapse. You're going to have a miserable time. I mean, it's really, it's really better off. The best, to be, to be honest, the best way to have an organization and have control of the organization is to just really be good at it. Bring on people that you trust. Um, give them the authority to make their own decisions. Do everything the right way. Make sure that you're not looking at not not looking at the process as something that's going to enrich yourself, but looking at at as something that's going to enrich the community. That it's such a good nonprofit idea that people can't not fund it, and then and then just rock at it. And then you can be the executive director, and you won't care that someone else is the board chair because they're so happy with your performance that they're never going to say no to anything you want. Exactly, it, exactly. Andy just said that beautifully and perfectly. And and you know, my apologies if I sound a bit jaded. I think it's from years of of just I want to caution people right from from going down this path without knowing sort of all of the facts because I think. It's, it's very easy to get enamored with the idea of setting up a nonprofit and, and doing all the things you want to do. Um, and it is so much, so much tougher than what, you know, there's so many laws and legalities and ethics and tax code and everything tied to it that makes it complicated that um, it's not impossible. Obviously, there's a lot of nonprofits out there, but I think many of the ones that are smaller or startup would tell you this is so much harder than I ever thought it would be. Andy, I've got something that's been on my mind. I'm guessing that many of our listeners are at home a large majority of the time these days, which means they might not be getting the podcast drive time they used to. So any ideas on where they can listen to us or when they can listen to us if it's not in the car? (laughs) So I just, I love the idea of like, just like turning it on in the house, like on the stereo. 
right? Just connect your <laughs> connect your iPhone, like jack it in, like right into the stereo. Actually, oh, so dear. So you can actually find nonprofit everything on Spotify. So if you've got a, if you're connected to Spotify, you can actually look up in their podcast section. Nonprofit everything shows up there, so you can actually play it like throughout all of the speakers in your house. Because you really want our voices and just in every room of your the house. Heck out of everybody else in your house that <laughs> would like has the least amount of interest in like random nonprofit geek conversations. I think that's the best thing you could possibly do. <laughs> or you know what else you could do when your kids are driving you bonkers and you're homeschooling, or when your spouse won't turn the tv off just put a plug it in put you know plug in your little earpieces and just listen to us to block out the rest of the world right it's like your personal escape from everything else going on in your environment absolutely and do what i do just like point to your headphones and mouth i'm on a call it's it'll, it'll yeah. it buys you at least in my house that buys you about five minutes if you just put it your <laughs> headphones and go i'm a call i'm on a call they'll, they'll leave you alone and for you about know, five minutes so I also hear people are walking their dogs like a gazillion times a day. So, you know, think of how many podcast episodes you could catch up on just listening to us while you're walking your dog. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. So, and I mean, you can find nonprofit everything literally everywhere. Pandora, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, like your favorite podcast app. It it's um, iHeartRadio. It's it's pretty much everywhere. So any any device that you have that can play that kind of thing, you can you can yell at your Alexa speaker. You can say Alexa, play the nonprofit everything podcast. It will do that. You can say okay Google to your Google thing and say play me the the nonprofit everything podcast and it'll play that. So um, so really you have no excuse to not be listening to <laughs> our irritating theme music over and over and over again. And we just know you're going to love one of, you know, an episode so much that, of course, then you're going to be compelled to write questions for future episodes. And you're going to be compelled to give us a really superstar rating and share us with all your friends and colleagues. So that's probably asking for a lot. So if you did just one of those things, I'd be pretty darn happy. Just listen. And send us questions. We love questions. I mean, so one of the problems with with getting questions too is a lot of people do historically listen to the podcast in their car and since that's not ha- and what happens and it's the same thing with like pledging at for public radio right you listen to it and they tell you to pledge and you're like oh i'm totally going to pledge and as soon as you get out of the car you completely forget what you were doing because you're out of the car um so yeah. now that's not happening anymore so you're you're not in a car you're not driving it is totally okay to stop what you're doing and type us a question we would love you for it mm-hmm. 